Hello and welcome to Running on Joy with Francesca Goodwin, the podcast that celebrates putting one foot in front of the other in whatever form that takes. This is a podcast that explores how we can live in a more connected, creative and compassionate manner for the benefit of our communities, our planet and our own mental and physical health. I'm your host, Francesca Goodwin, and every week I'll be asking a new interviewee what joy means to them. Running on Joy is ad-free, but if you enjoy the show, please do take a moment to leave a review and give feedback wherever you listen to your podcasts. You might also consider supporting the work of Running on Joy guest Dan Lawson through rubbish shoes and rerun clothing to end the cycle of wastage in the sports clothing and footwear industries. Follow at Rubbish Shoes and at Rerun.Clothing on Instagram for further information. Hello everyone. My guest today is a writer and sociologist interested in endurance, hapticality, atomic and nuclear cultures and poetics. Her most recent book, Running, is about practice, love, queerness and long distance running, published by Duke University Press. Although described as a feminist and queer handbook of running, it's a book for all runners. It's a book that celebrates the freedom and opportunity for self-discovery that running offers, whilst untangling identity, the body, failure, friendship, in fact, the whole spectrum of what it means to lace up our shoes and indeed to be human. So there's a lot to cover here. So I'll now um, invite them to introduce themselves in the manner of their choosing and welcome them to Running on Joy. Super excited for this conversation. Thank you so much. I'm uh, very happy to be on Running and Joy. I think that was a really great introduction. Um, it's a big weight to, to speak for all humanity, <laughs> <laughs> but I'll do my I'll do my best. Thank you. Yeah, no pressure. <laughs> if we haven't solved all the world's problems by the end of this conversation, we're not doing our jobs. <laughs> Back to work for us. <laughs> now I mentioned a few things um, in my intro that listeners might not necessarily be familiar with, such as hapticality. Um, And likewise, they might not also have encountered the kind of beautiful intersectionality of what somebody does (laughs) who's in your position. So could you perhaps just kick us off by breaking down the kind of component parts of what you're interested in and how that all kind of comes together? Sure. Um, Yeah, so I'm a sociologist and so interested in sociality or, you know, how people interact with each other. And that really came into play during my writing about running, even though I wrote this in in the pandemic. So it was really a part, uh, most of it I wrote during social isolation. So I think even in that made it more extreme the way that I was thinking about connection, I think, and maybe longing for that. So um, hapticality, I'm thinking with it from two writers and thinkers called Stefano Harney and Fred Moten. It has a longer history as kind of a term that philosophers and um, social theorists think about, but it really, hapticality is really the sense of touch. And the way that um, Harney and Moten think about it as the way that you can touch other people and feel feel people feeling you and feeling other people. So that's the way that I'm I'm interested in it. So it's the sense of touch, but in this sense, really thinking about others and how, how we touch each other, um, both, you know, actually <laughs> with our bodies, but also, you know, with just our gestures and our being with each other uh, as well. Mm. Was it then the pandemic that then kind of lit the fire to to start writing this book, then that kind of the lack of touch, whether that be physical or in an abstract sense as well? I think that it's shaped the book a lot. Um, The invitation to write it came before. So I had begun working working on it. I was invited to write a book for this series of Duke University Press called Practices. Mm -hmm. And the rule was that you couldn't write about writing or teaching. uh, Which is what most of us who write write, wrote for the Practices series do. Um, And so 
I don't have a lot of other hobbies besides, you know, reading and and writing, um, maybe watching films or something like that. But so I tried to think of something I'd done my whole life, which was running. So it started out thinking about running in general in my lifelong practice, but I think it became the book it did really because of the pandemic. And also I had, um, I was lucky enough to have a sabbatical that year. So I was able to just focus on really this one project. Mm. And likewise, the idea of a queer and, and feminist handbook on running is an interesting take on on a sort of genre that tends to be quite heteronormative and largely male dominated if if you look at bookshelves and, and want a kind of a guide to running that that tends to be the tends to be the content so firstly I've got a few questions on this but firstly how would you define those terms in terms of how how you've applied them so feminist and queer and then how do they relate to each other mm-hmm yeah I mean I started out as I was saying just I was going to write a book about running and all through growing up, we had in my house, my parents were part of this like running boom in the in, in the US and other places in the you know late 70s, early 80s. So we had these books like James Fix's Complete Book of Running, and these this kind of genre was like really prominent in my house. So it kind of it's a root, I guess, for me thinking about these kinds of books. And then I revisited the genre. So for a long time, I had been writing actually about atomic and nuclear cultures, but that's another story uh, before this book. So I was like, well, what is, what are the running books? Like, how is this trajectory of, of this kind of genre progressed since that time? Because I kind of dipped in and out of these sorts of books reading in my, in my free time. And I just was shocked, like, by how male dominated it still was. And even the books that I read by by some women, it was just very heteronormative. And I just was noticing as I was reading all of these books, the moments when something would just take me out of it. Because it's just, you know, I'm a runner, I'm here, I'm reading it, I'm along with you. And then just something would just like snap me out and make me think, oh, maybe this book isn't for me. Um And I just was noticing that. And so I was like, well, if it doesn't exist, you know, I was thinking about my kind of queer roots and like queer punk roots, you know, and the whole ethos, right, is if if it doesn't exist, you have to make it. So that was my impetus just to sort of write from my positionality and people in uh, queer communities and thinking about like, what would that book look like? Mm -hmm. So I think for me, just thinking a lot about like as of studying queer theory and feminist theory as academic disciplines. So I tried to bring those those things in while still thinking about being just a feminist and a queer person in my life and kind of causing those intersections there to just collide, <clears throat> excuse me, in the book itself. I may need to get some water. That's okay. You don't know you need it until you start talking to you. <laughs> so it's interesting because you're you're kind of applying feminism um in terms of a kind of all-encompassing, so equality for, for all, rather than it being a kind of a narrower version of, of feminism, perhaps, in sort of like the first wave. And also it's interesting that kind of in writing this, it it seems to be as much about the writing and the content as it is about actually kind of creating space with the text as well, would that be right? Definitely. I mean, I think out of anything I'm most interested in writing. So that was really important to me, the the kind of craft of the, of the book. Um, so even though it's kind of funny, somebody pointed out to me like the rules where like I couldn't write about writing or teaching, but it's actually a lot about writing as well, I found. Um, but I think it's because those are just two practices also that I've had for a long time. And I think both running and writing or music or any practice, right, requires this kind of um, endurance of attention. And that's something that I was really interested in and thinking about and I should say yes so my feminism and the feminism of the book is very encompassing like Mm -hmm. especially including trans people trans women um so I want to I 
I want to make that very broad. Um, and what I was surprised about, actually, is even though this is a fear, queer and feminist focused book, I was really happy that you introduced it as a book for all runners, um, because I think that was a goal that I had especially in these moments of thinking about things that took me out. And I'm sure there's things that people won't agree with for me, with me, and we'll take them out. But, um, but I, I just didn't see that in, in other texts I was reading. And has writing it kind of changed how you now react to seeing those heteronormative, male-dominated books that are still out there? Um. I, has it changed? Maybe a little bit. I, I think that I'm happy that my book exists in, in that world. And as well, like right around the time that my book came out, but I didn't have access to when I was writing, you know, a lot of these super women of running have written their own accounts. So like Kara Goucher, Des Linden, um, Lauren Fleshman, like these books came out that, that weren't there. And so I think like, um, coming from very different professional superwomen running and coming from my world, I, I think that we we all kind of noticed like, whoa, something, we, we need to have other voices there. And so I'm really excited about about that. Mm. And before we, we move on to just kind of discuss that in more detail, I just want to kind of set the context of people of your history both with with movement and um and with research as well so could you just give us a little kind of potted trajectory of how that's how that's been and how it's going <laughs> <laughs> sure um so I started running like as I said when I was a really young um because my parents were were into running um and I played sports my whole life but mostly I was a soccer player that's how I would have identified um, and so I went to <laughs> I went to university to play soccer. And then in the off season, I was just running and I had friends on the track team and they said, you know, Lindsay, come and come and run with us. And I thought they were just teasing me. And I was like, no, no. And they're like, no, 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 come run. And so I, I just went to track practice and then I continued to go for the whole week. And for some reason, the coach just like allowed me to go. Um, and then invited me to join the team. So I think this is a very strange trajectory for um, for a track athlete. <laughs> um, and I think this is like, so I say that, you know, as a division one track athlete, I went to Wofford College. At that time, it was the smallest school in NCAA division one. And so I want to just qualify that this was kind of a ramshackle operation in some ways so it's like <laughs> so I did do that but it wasn't uh you know there were different levels of of track athletes so anyway I ran track um and then I just continued to run always after that um you know kind of quasi seriously I think I would say and so just fast forward today um I'm still running I'm, I'm focusing mostly on the marathon distance um and hoping to run Boston Marathon this spring if if my body holds up. Uh, so that's quick trajectory of the of the running and the writing. Um, yeah, so I'm just I'm a sociologist. I'm most interested in writing and theory. And this is the running is my third book. So uh, right now I'm working on a book about about soccer. So that's another another story, another podcast. But um, yeah. We'll have to get you back on when that's in the works. <laughs> and how does one go about the kind of the research process for something like running, which might sound quite a kind of nebulous area for people to get to grips with? Thank you. Yeah, it's huge, right? So, I mean, in all of my work, even though they're about different topics, I do kind of start with myself as a way just to situate um, the way that I think about things. And I take this even from like early sociologists, like uh, there's a German sociologist, Max Weber, and he has this concept of verstehen, which is uh, means interpretive understanding. And so his theory was that to, the way to do sociology is that you have to do it from inside of the world. So some of the early sociologists wanted to make it 
the discipline on the model of natural sciences, but you can't really have a lab with humans in this way. It wouldn't be very ethical. Um, so I start there and then I just uh, think about like, I tried to think about my my own body and relation and that's where the hapticality comes in. Um, but also just sociality, like where has running taken me through my life and where does it take me now? So who does it allow me to interact with? How does it allow me to interact with my with myself? And with the landscapes in which I'm running in and through. Um, and especially, you know, runners, we get very close to our to our loops, to our roots, right? Because you do them again and again. And I think like those are the some of the places through my life that I know the best because I've just gone over them so many times in all weathers and in all seasons. Mm, and it, it's like a repeat experiment really in a way then isn't it and how that influences your body and feelings I'm pretty much I pretty much run the same loop every time I go out and it looks super boring on Strava but it's just so meditative and I just find the familiarity and just the small changes that you see each time either in yourself or externally it, it's really interesting I think Mm. it's a powerful way of kind of interrogating yourself I think um when everything else is kind of stripped away you know trails are really great for being able to see things but sometimes you you never get closer to yourself when you're than when you're just doing the same thing and then you kind of have to bring a different lens to it in a way I think and it's interesting that you kind of mentioned there that your research is very much kind of grounded from what you feel and I know that your previous books have been related to sort of like the American atomic and nuclear culture but seen through your own personal lens as memoir as well and I was just wondering because I think everything is is sort of relevant to, to the story as well um if you could just do a little potted kind of um description of those experience and whether that then affected the path that you subsequently took with with your research and and how it sort of shaped your life yeah thank you um so I was born in a town called Oak Ridge Tennessee and it was one of the secret cities of the Manhattan Project so the um the atomic bomb project um American mostly but also British of uh during World War II and my grandfather worked as an atomic courier so that meant that he um, carried secret documents and parts of weapons across the country um, Yeah, during the 1940s. And then he continued to do it through the Cold War as well. And so that experience was really formative to me because my mother grew up in this town and it was just uh, what I call atomic socialization of a way to think about this place. Um, as I you know, got older, I became critical of the atomic bomb project and of nuclear weapons, but uh, this was kind of a shift because I had been really enculturated to believe that this was one of the, you know, the, the greatest things that humans have ever done. And I was very lucky to be a, a part of it, a piece of it. Um, and so we're just trying to make sense of these kind of large cultural, social, and political flows that like I was caught up in. Um, and I, it's important to me for that project to like get away with a sense of innocence, right? So it's like, obviously this was out of my control, out of my decision. Um, it's something I was born into, but it's something I also benefited from. So my family was very, very working class, poor, but this was a good job for my grandfather. And this was a way that, that my family kind of had class mobility. And so then how do I make sense of class mobility coming from weapons of mass destruction. So that's a lot of what that project is, as well as just kind of the, what is it like to be an American growing up in this time? Uh, would you believe you're a superpower? And there's like, you know, an existential threat from the Soviet Union, it kind of colors so much of everything, the games you play, the toys that are available, what's on TV. So I was kind of just thinking about that. So I'm really interested in like this like little person caught up in like a lot of big things. And I don't mean like that I was a child, but all of us as like individual small beings, you know, and big flows of the world. Um, 
So it was, so that I was working on, and then I was invited to go to Chernobyl. Uh, this is before the war in U Ukraine, and um, while I was there, I met Margaret Grebowitz, who was the is now the editor of the Practices series at Duke. So I guess that's how I got the invitation to write about running weirdly. Um, but I think the connections of the book, when I read them, you know, like trying to write this is a good or trying to explain this is good because I have to explain the oeuvre of my work soon for a salary review. Um, but for me, I feel they're they are very coherent. Like if you read any of these books, it's me. And like one is about running and one is about atomic culture. But what carries through is these kind of large themes of and also a real interest in materiality. I'm interested in like the stuff of these worlds. So I write a little bit about that in running when I write about the history of, of Nike um, and some of the other running terms, uh, although I wanted to do a bit more, maybe I will in the future. Mm, thank you so much for, for sharing that. And I guess also there's that kind of theme of processing as well. Um, I mean, you describe running as a practice and is running something that allows you to process I, lo I loved your description of it kind of like this flow of things that are going on around you and you trying to sort of like see how how that flow is mapping out and how you fit into that and, and where you're going with it um so what is kind of your relationship with that word practice and how does running fit into that for practice I, th I think that um being consistent is important to me. And like, sometimes, you know, I can't, I'm sick or I'm injured or something else is going on. But I feel like I always really have the desire to, to run, to, um, to make that a part of my, my day or a big part of my week. Um, I think that I can be quite neurotic person and, <laughs> And running really just allows me a reset, you know? Um, I And there's a lot of people who I know like go out and they're like, oh, I can finish my essay like on this run or like I solved this problem with my boyfriend. And, you know, I'm not one of those people. Like I, I think that when I'm running, I just feel free of, of that. I feel free of my email inbox. I feel free of like other things that I need to do. And that's just a time to um, really just be kind of an animal, you know, or like in, in like just be a human animal in the world. And I kind of that's when I let things go. So not that I don't have thoughts about things, but I'm not problem solving. Mm -hmm. um, but I do think it does clear a space for me to be able to think later. So if I like do that and then I'm back at my desk, I think I have a reset. Um but yeah, I think that, I think it's really just, it's something that I've always done that makes me feel like myself also was mm -hmm. the way I think about the practice, both writing and running. And if I'm not working on a project or if I'm not able to get out, then I'm, I'm not the best version of myself. Um, <laughs> and that's something I've been trying to, to work on because sometimes you can't, right? But I think it really is like a, sort of strategy for me to to manage myself mm. um which is the less like romantic version of it um and another way to say that is like that's where I feel most free yeah or oh, doing some self-management <laughs> do you think that there's a distinction between practice and and ritual and if there is that distinction do you think we need both I think both are really helpful. Uh, I love this question because I do think there's a distinction between practice and ritual, but they can combine elements of both. I think ritual sometimes requires more care. Um, and I think sometimes my practice isn't that elegant. You know, it's just like, do it, get out. Um, it's like, you know, ice raining or something like this. Um, I do think I, I, I do like uh, ritual. I think that sometimes I engage in that. So sometimes I will 
lay all my clothes out on the bed that I'm going to run in. And especially if it's like, I don't know, like a tough day, like I try to pick my best running clothes, you know, so it's like, I'm excited to like, get in there. And like, also, I think running in Vancouver, like having the right clothes for the right weather is very satisfying. Um, And so I think of something like that as being part of a a ritual. Um, But I think practice is just kind of a steady showing up, you know, and ritual has a little bit more Um, I mean, of course, there's the religious connotation of ritual, but also a little bit more care, a little bit more um, attention, maybe than than I would say that I always have in a in a daily practice. I guess there's a slight kind of softness to ritual as well, isn't there, which is the softness that you can then bring to practice in a way it's sort of like setting the scene of how you're showing up by doing the ritual kind of thing, if that makes sense because mm-hmm. practice isn't necessarily also something that you that you like <laughs> and I guess or it can be hard right uh-huh. and it's hard because it's it's the work there's the kind of there's the ritual that as you described is kind of about the care and then actually that the practice is is the work and I guess I want to link this to to parts of the book where you also talk about kind of themes of, of pain and I'm wondering kind of what you feel as sort of the benefits of doing something that is that is hard or kind of pushing you through the through the barriers of where you might necessarily have thought you were you were comfortable um and then kind of what are the limits to that as well yeah thank you um I think like I don't know like a lot of people and a lot of runners I think there's just something some kind of wire laid down in me early where I like kind of crave that and enjoy it to some extent right um and there's something I really I like about doing something hard I feel um I think I think again it does kind of clear my mind Um, because you really also when something is very hard or painful I feel like you're really focusing on it for a little bit of time and then like to get through it sometimes you have to put your mind elsewhere like I do some like counting or uh, I do a game in my head where I name countries as a way to distract myself sometimes Um, the limits of it are very tricky I think also you know I'm a less serious athlete than I than I used to be but the limits are very tricky because you're always trying to push yourself to the limit, but you don't want to be injured or go too far. And it's very hard to tell where that is, um, especially sometimes when you do feel um, that you have confidence in your body sometimes, and also in, when you don't. Um, I think the limits are really hard to tell. And with running, right, there's, I'm always Googling something like, is it okay to run if, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and you know the answer is going to be no, but you still Google <laughs> Yes. And you can also, you know, Google until you get the answer you want. <laughs> um, so I think that's something I'm still trying to learn. Right. And I think as I have gotten older and have had more serious injuries that have taken longer to heal from, I think it's like, okay, it's okay to like get off your plan or like, you know, set your practice aside for today and you just, you need to, to rest. But I think it's very hard when people say things like listen to your body or something, right? Because the body and the mind are connected (laughs) and, um, you know, I think that I think my will is often much stronger than my body. Mm, yeah, I can absolutely resonate with that. And it does go back to that idea of practicality that you're talking about. It's it's not just feeling as a physical sensation, it's feeling with your with your whole self, which includes your mind. And as you say, the relationship is very complex and they don't necessarily get on all the time either. <laughs> yeah. And actually, there's a story in your book about um about getting run over by a car, which is, you know, it's it's a scenario where where pain and um, a disabling situation has occurred, not necessarily through 
through voluntary suffering, you know, where you choose to do a hard workout and it's temporary, or maybe you choose to push through some Achilles pain and then that lies you on the sofa for a few weeks. This is something that is somewhat outside of, of your control. And I'm curious as to your relationship with that incident and how it became a sort of a defining thing for you. Yeah. Um, so it's about 11 years ago now that like I was run over by this car. It hit me in the ribs and knocked me um, on the ground in a very, very, very busy street in Brooklyn, New York. And then ran over my legs, um, which was a very strange sensation. Um, it's still one of the most interesting things that's ever happened to me, but I would not, I would not recommend it. <laughs> and I, think, <laughs> um, I was, I was pretty beat up, but in all, like, I still don't understand the physics of how this car rolled over me and I didn't have more serious long lasting injuries. Um, so what happened was the the weight of the car rolled over over me the first wheel and then I was laying on the ground and I just felt an immense pressure but no pain and then I thought did that just happen because I couldn't comprehend it and then very quickly the next the, the second wheel um rolled over me and I thought oh yes it did and it's it's really changed me a lot. Um, I I didn't blame myself for it, which was a good which was a good progress, I think, in my um, as a human. <laughs> Although it could have been my fault, I'm not sure. It was one of these situations where I'm not sure if I um, I ran when it was the light was about to change. And it did change, or if the person who who hit me and ran over me jumped the light, I'm not sure. Um, but I used to be very, very confident. And like living in New York, I rode my bicycle everywhere. I crossed the street when I, you know, I felt very confident that I could always make it to the other side. Um, I always crossed against the light, and I never, never do that anymore. So. I do have like lasting, like, you know, trauma sensations from it. Like I, I never cross against the light. I'm always really vigilant. And I still often have the sensation when I'm crossing that a car is going to run over me. Mm -hmm. um, and I really wish I didn't have that. So like the fear got in me, although it's good for my overall cautiousness, I guess. Um but I think that that experience just made me feel very, very lucky. And I'm really happy. Like there was a period when I was in the ambulance that I wasn't sure. Um, I thought that I was paralyzed because of the adrenaline for everything. I couldn't, they were touching me all over and I couldn't feel my legs like below my waist. Um, so I feel very grateful to, to still be able to run and that the injuries weren't more serious. Um, but it was very strange, you know. Um, a lot of my friends who are doctors really kind of geeked out that I got run over in the absolute best place, <laughs> which was just like on my like thigh bone, you know, they're like inches below or inches above, like, you know, and they would tell me all these terrible things that could have happened to me. Um, so I guess I'm like a very lucky, unlucky person in that sense. Um, but yeah, it was, it's funny because that story, it's a terrible story, but I had gotten used to telling it and I felt like I would tell it at a dinner party and I would, you know, act, act it out with like, you know, somebody's glass and like a fork or something. And I, I really enjoyed telling it, but when I wrote about it, it was really hard mm -hmm. again. And it took me back kind of to those initial feelings of, the immensity of that accident and the fear that I felt. So that was a really interesting process to me to, to write it through. I can imagine as well, like having that fear that 
that is sitting with you that you might feel is kind of uncontrollable in a way that it's being triggered when when you run down the street and doing this thing that has brought you so much freedom and particularly as a queer woman who's writing herself into a space that you didn't feel there was a space for you to then have that layer that is then bringing fear of that back I can imagine that must have been been a strange and tricky thing to navigate as well it was and it made me really interested in kind of the genre of like a trauma story and I would always say like this story is a trauma story that I can tell at a party you know which is very rare for a trauma story genre um and I think that it did help me to, to be able to talk about it and to tell it. Um, not that everyone needs to or that that's helpful for everyone, but it was for me. Um, but one thing that was really interesting is immediately after it happened, I had been organizing a conference at my university. I was a grad student at the time. And at the reception party, five different people, professors, other invited people, um, other grad students, came up to me and told me a trauma story. Um, somewhere, uh, one or two were about getting run over, hit by a car, um, but the others weren't. They were very different sorts of stories. And I thought, oh, I've entered into a different club of people um, because they know this about me. And I thought that that was really fascinating um, so yeah, I don't know. I think it's a, a thing that will always stay with me. I think, you know, there's the fantasy of like, oh, you write through it and you're on the other side and everything is different and you see it clearly, but it's, it's not like that for me. It's the, it kind of made it more intense for a little while because I think it became top of mind. Um, but I don't know how to shake it, you know, and sometimes it's worse than others, but it's, it is, it does linger there. But I think, you know, we know as like runners or cyclists, like, uh, you know, cars are dangerous. There's lots of accidents. So uh, it may be a protective element as well. I, I still do it. You know, it was important for me to not stop. And one of the first things I did when I started running was to run through that intersection again, where I got hit, just I needed to do it. Um, but it's funny, I went to visit it last summer. I was back in New York and it was terrifying to me and I wouldn't, I wouldn't do it again. Like now I totally avoid it. Um, but I needed to, I needed to do that for some reason. I mean, it's immensely brave going, going back to, to the place of the accident. And I, I spoke to Hilary Allen quite a long time ago about the accident that she had in, in Tromso falling down and then um being almost paralyzed by that and her needing to go back and sort of make make peace with that place and and feel that it wasn't that that experience wasn't kind of controlling her or sort of like being becoming her identity in a way I think was what I what I got from that so I don't know if that's a kind of a thing that resonates with you but I think it's a really brave thing to go uh, go and face that um even if it doesn't sort everything <laughs> out um and I know in the book you talk a lot about not just successes but also disappointments too um and I guess the, the thing is that yes disappointments happen and things happen in life and that isn't necessarily the end of the story they don't just happen we actually have to keep processing them like it's it's beautiful with a trauma story where you can kind of like tell it in retrospect but actually you're the one who's still sitting with the feelings that can still feel quite overwhelming um, and that's the bit that people don't see so much because it doesn't go so well into a glass and a fork at a, a dinner party conversation right <laughs> um but I'm interested in how running relates to these ideas of of failure um and the unknown too and and how how that then has maybe translated into your own life? Mm -hmm. I think failure, it's, it's just so much more common. You know, I think like, 
both as like a, as a writer and a runner and like, you know, I can't think like I applied for so many jobs to, to be a professor, you know, and just most of it is, most of it is rejection, right? Most of it is, um, I almost never run as fast as I want to. Um, I think that's what's satisfying about a distance, right? Is you can like, I'm going to, I'm going to complete that and you can do it. Um, but I think it's, I think that's the thing about practice. Like for me, like, even if I'm like a terrible runner or like all my sentences are awful on, you know, for a long time, I, I just really value writing and running and some of the other things that I do. I think they're very valuable. So it gives me pleasure to, to work on them, even if I, even if I'm awful, um, and then sometimes you're a little bit good and then that's really satisfying, you know, but it's, it's definitely in a lower percentage of the times that you're not. Um, so I think in some ways I'm like chasing my own, you know, excellence or that seems crazy, but like my own standard of what I think is good, but mostly I just do these things because I really value them as practices. And I like, I want to be close to other people who are doing those things as well. I think, you know, that's been one of the most beautiful things about writing this book is that I did it, as I said, just really in isolation. And I've, of all of my books, I've been able to do more things and meet more people. And um, it's been amazing. Uh, so I think, I think that's a big part of it. And it's interesting that you frame running as being part of all the other things that you do that are also practices in themselves. And I mean, there's a, there's a lot of um, messaging at the moment that that is geared towards being inclusive about everyone is a runner, everyone can run, but that could be translated as everyone should run <laughs> and which then isn't inclusive at all <laughs> um and can actually be really polarizing if you're doing this thing that actually is is hard and you don't feel is for you um but you should be doing it because everybody is a runner and and I mean you described it you know running does feel quite primal um and, and sort of animal and with kind of that idea of being born to run but do you think I, I'm quite interested just to to hear your take on that messaging. And do you think we need a slightly more nuanced approach to it? I would say more than slightly nuanced approach. Like I I, I really am, a, I, I think that running is wonderful and I really love it. And I think it's good for people to be in touch with their body, but like in whatever way that feels good for them. You know, I think somebody could make the argument about swimming or hiking or really anything. Um, so for me, I think like, you know, I feel like we're very far removed as humans from the primal, like as a person living in the 20th and 21st century, I feel, you know, it, my, my grandparents' life is like sort of unfathomable to me, you know? So it's like thinking about that we are like geared from this like early onslaught of humans to to do something like running, it, it, don't, it doesn't make sense to me as a contemporary person. And I do think that it is like a real ableist um, and runnerist uh, <laughs> mindset that like, you know, I don't, I don't feel that anyone should feel that they have to run if they don't want to, or if it doesn't bring them joy, or, you know, I think, I think life is hard. And like, you have to like, find what is giving you pleasure instead of these mandates, you know, of how you should, how you should move. So yeah, I'm really, I really am. Um, I do want running spaces to be inclusive for sure, <laughs> for sure. And I think that it's really exciting to me, like so many running clubs and running collectives. And I think that there's more and more opportunities for people to find like the group that's good for them if they want to run with a group lots of people like to run by themselves but yeah I just I think that this um I think that a lot of the born to run um mentality is kind of bad early anthropology to be honest mm, yeah I'd absolutely agree <laughs> and also I mean 
you at, at the beginning of the conversation mentioned sort of like this alignment also between finding a space within running and a kind of punk philosophy. And I know that that you have a real love for kind of the punk poets and artists. And I'm curious as to how that kind of fits into your sort of approach to running too. Yeah, I, I hope that it does. I feel that it's that's just a big part of like, um, you know, my youth and and still like, who I am today. And yeah, for example, like um, my friend Hazel Meyer drew the drawings and in the book. And I feel like she has a real punk uh, aesthetic as well. She actually made this banner that says endurance behind me. (laughs) It wasn't for me. She made it for a different uh, art performance that she did years ago. But then um, she saw my bio on the on the internet and said, oh, endurance, maybe Lindsay would like that. So I think I think the punk ethos is kind of that, right? You're sort of getting with your friends and you're you're doing these projects together. And it's about aesthetics, but it's also um, about, you know, community and um, yeah, I think it I think it is part of me. I think that the people who I've met uh, through doing this book have shared a sensibility as well. And that's been really interesting to me to kind of find these people. And also it's a lot of folks, you know, outside of my particular micro genres of like aesthetic interests or taste um, has been really fun. So I think yeah, I think there's a way that I've been able to fold that in that makes me really happy and kind of, you know, I'm a I'm a sociology professor, I'm in an institution, you know, I'm publishing with an academic press, but I think I've been able to to bring some of that in as well. And people might kind of think of punk as being a sort of a loud protest, but I mean, your approach is a very gentle one um and uh, I mean your book is a series of, of very short little chapters that are almost like haikus in a way and what do you think we can all learn from sort of having this this gentle approach to subversion um both in terms of kind of you know causes that we care about and also in our lives in general Thank you. I think that's maybe just my sensibility. Like I have um, a section in the book where I talk about soft running, um, which is a response to a critique of running with music. Um, I think like the Born to Run and like the critique of running with music, I just find it really oppressive and um just annoying when people tell you that there's a right way to do things. And I think that that's part of my punk ethos as well. I think that, um, I think you have to, to allow people to find their own approaches. Um, and I think that, yeah, I just think the world is very hard. I keep coming back to this, like right now it's really hard. Like my students are really um, having a hard time, like my friends are having a hard time. There's like, you know, the, there's wars, there's plagues, there's, so I think if we can just take the edge off a little bit from things and especially even our own practices that are designed to give us joy, but sometimes we, um, we allow, uh, like what we should be doing or what is, um, what's going to look good on Strava or whatever to to interfere? I think just just taking the edge off a little bit would be would be good. Mm, I couldn't agree more. <laughs> we all need a little more. Well, we all need to be gentle with ourselves and with each other far more. I think there's there's so much very very binary, very reactive, very hard thinking and and actions in the world and not a lot of space or time for for just being and just being soft with people and I'm interested in kind of taking this idea of 
of creativity um, and freedom into thinking a little bit more about identity specifically. And if you don't mind, there's just a quote that I want to read quickly from your book and then just kind of hear a few thoughts on it. So it's, I feel a capaciousness in the practice of running itself. I know I'm not alone in this and that there are a lot of us running in the gap between our practices and our desires, looking to find ourselves in culture in a way that makes us feel good and in the representations of what we see in print and through images of others supposedly doing what we do. So I'm interested in this idea of freedom and is that also freedom in terms of gender, do you feel? Um, and how do the two relate? Definitely. Um, I think that I think that when I'm running or like when I played sports, um, even though later I played and, you know, it's all gender segregated. Um, but I think, especially in my own practice now, just running in the woods or running with people locally, I sort of forget all of these things, right? And I think like, oh, it's important to think about gender and it's important to think about identity. Um, but I write also someplace in the book that when I'm running, it's it's freedom from pronouns and peer review. And... I think that uh, not that, you know, pronouns are important and I, I don't mean to, I'm not advocating, you know, getting rid of them or, uh, but sometimes I want a space outside of that. Um, and I think that um, that's like in those moments when you kind of forget how to present yourself and you just are. I think those are the kind of spaces that I really like. Um, and that, you know, you feel known, but you feel known outside of these, outside of these markers, right? Something about your like full personhood. Uh, I think that I'm often looking for those spaces. Uh, you know, I tried to join several running clubs in, in groups in Vancouver. And then I and then I realized, oh, this is kind of for people who are like a lot younger than me, who it's like um, people are looking for for heterosexual dates. And I think that I have to find another group. People were nice. Right. But people were not interested in me. Uh, <laughs> and it was less fun, you know, um, so I think it's that kind of thing, you know, it's like where, okay, where is this, I, you know, everybody likes running here, but that's something else that, uh, that I'm not a part of um, and don't want to be, you know, don't want to be, but um, so I think it's like that, you know, or like um, even like, a, you know, as a queer person, it's not that I want to be in a, a segregated queer space necessarily. And, you know, there's different, uh, folks that you resonate with in different queer space is also huge, right? So it's like, um, you know, I, I talked with um, with like a bunch of folks who are thinking about, you know, making running clubs that are that are based on um, different ethnicities and like, but also having inclusivity. And I think that those groups are really special and important. So it's not just about gender, right? It's about all of these different sorts of identities, and um, it's complicated to find this, this, find the group that really works. And I think that um, when it does, it's very special. I think that's that's a beautiful way of exploring it, and I think yes, as you said, there's such a proliferation of ways that one can identify or present oneself that it could become quite a burden and inside you're just screaming I just want to be a person in the world <laughs> and not, not have to kind of fit into another box <laughs> that it is a box that's being created in order to kind of relate to people but it's still a box and I don't necessarily feel like that's the box I want to be in <laughs> I just want to run through the woods and feel the earth under my feet and not have to think about it <laughs> or, or not have to explain it to someone or or go to a group and then realize that there is definitely an agenda that I don't want to be part of there <laughs> but I mean this is also a book about about friendship and about connection and how has running allowed you to kind of find those kindred spirits and and community 
I think there is something about running that can accelerate friendships um, because you are doing a hard thing and you are just, you know, like in your little shorts and stuff, you know, so it's like a lot of it is stripped away. I found like, you know, before this, when I would give a talk, I always like wore, you know, like a blazer and I'm like behind a lectern or something. And now with this book, you know, often I'm going, I'm running with people and then I'm reading afterwards. And it's been such a shift of just like, you know, sort of stealing yourself to like do a performance. And then I feel most myself and also just like more relaxed. And I think um, I've been able to like have really um, intimate conversations with people about running or about, you know, different injuries or accidents or, you know, unhealthy relationships with running or um I feel very close to to people through not only just through running, but through also writing this book about about running, um, <clears throat> which I guess is another acceleration of this. But I think that there is a kind of closeness. Um, again, it's like I think when you're running, it's taking the edge off of like you're trying to perform a certain kind of um, positionality or personhood and you're just you're just being and it makes you a little bit freer. Sometimes like when you have a conversation in a long car ride with someone, it sort of has the same uh, tenor, I think. Yeah, there's a sort of permissiveness from just right while traveling alongside someone, I guess, um, that isn't just sitting down face to face and like on a podcast and getting interrogated with questions. <laughs> but, <laughs> but there's something very fluid about moving specifically next to someone that seems to kind of expand things a lot more. And it's a lot more, I guess, sort of dreamlike in a way you can kind of just ride out the conversation and it doesn't have a kind of, you know, a hard end or a or, or a hard agenda to it like if you go for a coffee with someone and you kind of know okay well there's going to be a cut off after like you know around the kind of hour mark sort of thing whilst if you're on a run it's it's just you're kind of just going with it aren't you in in a more sort of creative way I guess which is something that we've already touched on that kind of cross-pollination between creativity and running too and I guess in terms of that fluidity and kind of thinking about identity again um I know that you're a fan of uh, Joan Didion um who talks a lot about kind of that the idea of identity being an evolving thing um and that we don't sort of leave behind past selves we are all are an amalgamation of, of the people that we once were and and, and the people that we will become and it, it is about this idea of a flow and not not being over things as well which again we've talked about in relation to to your car accident and things as well and I'm interested in do you feel like your identity has changed and is running a part of that mm. I I know that identity is is fluid and it does change through time but I feel that I've always been the exact same which is really I know and I know that it's not true like intellectually I know that that's not true and that is an insane idea. Um, but I do feel that I feel the same through time. I mean, I've learned things and I'm like better at handling this or that, but I feel, I do feel very coherent um, through time. I think that the, the part where I talk about Joan Didion, I talk about when I was in university and it was a difficult time for me. And I've been, uh, I felt badly about like not being able to get myself out of a situation that I was where I was sad. I'd, why didn't I change schools? Um, for 20 years, you know, I felt that. <laughs> so I think like while writing about getting run over didn't really change my experience to being afraid of being run over. I think writing about being stuck as a young person um, did change my did soften that. Um, blame of myself so I think that I felt like more gentle about myself and why why I didn't especially now that I teach people of that age and I know them and I I, I see how young they are and um and how it's difficult to to get yourself out of certain 
uh, certain positions and thinking. Um, so I, I'm sure that I have changed, uh, but I, I feel that I haven't. Um, but I think that I think also like running has been part of that. So I think um, and a certain ability to have daily movement or, or like when I can't run or um, then I f don't feel like myself. And um, that's something I'm trying to shift a bit. Um, because I know that there will be a time when I, when I won't be able to anymore. And I, I just need to prepare for like the, like, um, how to think about myself beyond doing, think about myself as not someone who's been exactly the same, right? It's like not possible to have this be the same and have the same body, you know, for your whole life. It is not possible and um, so that's something I think like, and midlife I'm trying to, to soften. Mm, and finding new things in the toolbox, I guess, because running, running can sort out a lot of stuff, but it doesn't fix everything, does it? And I think, I mean, people are not always so kind of metacognitive in terms of thinking about their experiences, their feelings and their either their coherence or their transitions. Um, and do you have any of those answers yet as to the things that might be in the toolkit that you can reach for? Um, no, <laughs> I, I'm still, I'm still working on that. I think like, um, I think I, I really dislike change. And like, I like to, uh, I know that like ch life is change and transition, but I really like to just find like my groove and just like stay there. Um, so, you know, I like swimming, swimming's okay. <laughs> um, no, you know, I'm working to get like a, a new therapist, you know, I'm working on uh, some other things. Um, and I do like, uh, like reading, I think, is another space of like freedom and reset for me, uh, like running. I think if I just like throw myself into a book and that can really like uh, bring me back into a place where um, I'm less neurotic or stressed. Yeah, yeah I find reading now is, is a kind of self-soothing activity. I think when I was younger, I read in order to sort of find out who I was in a way, um, including reading like Sheila Haiti's like, how should a person be? Um, but it was that way of trying to trying to work out what who I was and, and what was happening and how should I be in the world and then finding in places that reflected on pages was both reassuring, but then also, I guess, kind of holding myself accountable to that in a way. Um, so I think reading used to be something that was quite complex <laughs> and and both a kind of therapeutic thing, um, but also an immensely aggravating thing as well. And now it is that sort of I'm just looking forward to escaping into a book. And I can't remember who it was. There's there's a quote that I shared with my mother a little while ago when she was going through a difficult time, which is like, OK, I'm going to give you these books because if you read, then you've lived a thousand lives as opposed mm -hmm. to just just your one because it does allow you to kind of walk in in so many shoes and I sort of see it as a way of not necessarily finding myself but certainly building empathy in the world as well which I guess relates to the gentleness that we've been talking about too <laughs> that's really beautiful yeah I think that um often like when I I didn't do the on my most recent trip but often when I'm going somewhere I'll try to find you know authors from that place um, and I feel like that's, yeah, to try to like be closer, be in the world in that way, you know, even just like a mention of like a specific candy bar or something in a region, then it makes you feel a little closer to, to the place. Yeah. That's really beautiful. Mm, I always like also in like places that I visit where there's people that I care about going and getting a book from, from the local bookshop and then bringing it back with me. And it just feels like a little talisman that I've 
that I've brought back that reminds me of that place and I really like that as well like picking up a pebble on the beach or something I pick up a pick up a book in the bookstore (laughs) yeah and Lindsay we're drawing to to the end of our of our chat and I just wanted to use this as an opportunity to allow you to to signpost of where people can find you and your books and then also just give you the opportunity if there's anything that we haven't covered that you also wanted to to add thank you so much um yes so you can find me um i'm on instagram and formerly twitter um it's on i'm lindsay freeman on formerly twitter and on instagram i'm atomic lindsay freeman uh, you can also find me on my website, which is lindsayfreeman.net. Uh, um, I, I think that's, I think I'm good. Yeah. Amazing. In that case, I can ask you the final question, which um, Lindsay has said that she's, that she's been listening to the podcast, so she knows what's coming. <laughs> what does joy mean to you, Lindsay? Thank you. I have been studying, but I decided not to formulate my answer. Um, but just just to see what I would say um, when you ask me. So I think based on our conversation and today, I, th- I think joy really is that place where you kind of lose a self um, self-performance and you are just, you know, in a space either by yourself uh, running in the woods or, or with other people um, and you just feel known. I think that is that is joy for me. I'm so grateful to the community that is growing around the podcast and if you've enjoyed today's episode I would so appreciate if you can share it with your communities and help spread the message of support, perseverance and joy further. If you have any feedback or suggestions for future guests you can find me on Instagram at running underscore on underscore joy. I'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening and I'll see you next time for Running on Joy.